Where is your next meal coming from? Probably not a question you've thought too hard about today, but it's top of mind for these folks. On this very special edition of the Eastern Ontario Business Journal podcast, we're looking at the business of food. Welcome to this very special edition of the Eastern Ontario Business Journal podcast. I'm Phil Gaudreau. If you like this show, make sure to like and subscribe. Today, we're chatting with a few very special guests about agriculture, food business, and the workforce that makes it all happen. Before our panel joins us, I'm speaking with Anne Howland, editor of the Eastern Ontario Business Journal. Hi, Anne. Hey, Phil. Good to see you. Likewise. So why are we publishing all this great content about the food sector in Eastern Ontario? Sure. Well, obviously, it's a huge sector in the region, tens of billions of dollars uh, in, in, uh, in the province. And it's not a sector that we look at too often uh, in Eastern Ontario Business Journal. So we really wanted to get uh, a sense of what are some of the strengths, uh, weaknesses, opportunities, threats, as they say, uh, and present those as a bit of a, as we call it, a lay of the land, just to give a, a sort of general sense of, of what's happening in this sector and what's important. Okay. If there was one thing that surprised me a little bit, um, it was all the ag tech businesses that Neil McMillan identified in our region. Some very cool stuff happening in our backyard. Encourage everybody to uh, check it out and, and make sure you read the paper. Um, anything particularly surprising you learned through the coverage that the team put together? Uh, I agree with you. I thought that part was uh, was fascinating. It's really uh, cool to see the the combination of of technology with such a traditional uh, industry as agriculture and farming. So I think what surprised me was maybe the number of those types of firms that have called Eastern Ontario uh, home and obviously found Eastern Ontario an attractive place to to start their business. Uh, in in the Ottawa Business Journal, we've talked about a few of them, uh, Field of Farms, Grocer, Cultivated, but I was surprised to see that there were so many uh, so many others and to read their story about what they're doing and how they can complement traditional uh, farming, I thought was truly interesting. For those who haven't seen the latest EOBJ edition yet, including all of our lay of the land coverage, where should they head? They should head to eobj.ca so they can have access to the issue, the digital issue uh, there online. As well, there are any number of distribution points for the hard copy, the good old fashioned newspaper version of EOBJ, including here in town in Ottawa at City Hall, but many others throughout the region. And we've made a special effort to as well to distribute to uh, many of the, uh, well, the farms in the agricultural operations throughout the region as well. All right. Anne Howland, our editor here at the Eastern Ontario Business Journal. Thank you very much. Thanks, Bill. Now we're going to welcome on our panelists. We've got Patrick Mainville with Collège La Cité and Charlie Foreman of Foreman Farms. Good day, gentlemen. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. So for those who aren't aware, let's start off by talking about some of the main differences between traditional and industrial farming and some of the more modern approaches. Patrick, why don't you start us off? Well, uh, nowadays, uh, through uh, all the technology advancements, uh, a lot of the farmers have access to a lot more uh, data, which they can use then into making better uh, plans for either crop or animal production. So whether it's seeding rates, weed control, um, different types of mapping applications are available now when you're working in the field. So all these new tools are available for uh, the new type of, uh, of farming. Um, now, some of them are still using traditional techniques, but having access to those again, uh, data management and, and, and technology 
gives them an advantage to be able to uh, work against some of the uh, obstacles that uh, Mother Nature, for example, brings to us uh, with all sorts of different uh, extreme climate conditions and things of that nature. Now, there is some issues surrounding being able to uh, access these technologies or use them properly. So more and more farmers become dependent on these uh, technology uh, companies as well. But uh, definitely uh, better tools and, and better access to information gives them a heads up on, on uh, better production and, and more output for sure. So, Charlie, I'd love to hear from you about some of your experience over at Foreman Farms, some of the differences you've seen over five decades, and, and whether that divide has grown, uh, how the techniques have changed. Could you talk about that a bit? Well, definitely a huge difference from when I started. Uh, there were some farmers who still had horses. Um, so, you know, we were talking about all these new tools that we have to use. They're great. But it still comes down to whether we get rain at the right time. So with all the new biologicals and all the new GPS and whatever else that we're all using, or most of us are using, not everybody. Um, if we don't get the rain on time, we still don't produce a profitable crop. Um, where I am, we're kind of lucky we still get the rains when we need them. But we've seen all around the world now droughts, how they affect uh, the markets going up and down. Um, and of course, we're all in touch with those markets where we never used to even know the markets existed. And so, yes, on the one hand, we have all these new tools to use, including being able to check the markets worldwide and see what's going on. But it still comes down to the weather and market demand. So when something like these wars happen, that just throws everything sideways. Um, it's exciting. It's made farming a lot easier, enjoyable. Um, mm -hmm. more stressful maybe, but uh, <laughs> definitely more enjoyable than grabbing a pitchfork and cleaning out calf pens all day long. Oh, come on, Charlie, you don't look a day over 25. What are you talking about? But look, there, there's been a lot of hype in, in recent years um, and even in this quarterly edition of the EOBJ about uh, vertical farming, controlled environment agriculture, growing indoors type of idea. I'd love to hear both your thoughts. Uh, Patrick, we'll start with you. Um, do you think these technologies and approaches are here to stay? Yeah, I'm a big believer that uh, vertical farming, for example, is here to stay. Uh, with decrease in agricultural lands, uh, more and more people living in the city, uh, the advancement of technology, the development of very efficient LED lights, um, the new urban agriculture is here to stay. So uh, more traditional rural uh, agriculture is highly relevant. It's still where we produce the most. However, the, uh, with some of the challenges, uh, urban agriculture, vertical, aeroponic, hydroponic, rooftops, um, those are some of the new tendencies that I think are, are there to stay and they have been proven because obviously they, they saw, um, they began, uh, you know, before the pandemic, they actually, uh, we increased, uh, vertical production, um, uh, during the actual uh, pandemic. And, um, we, we still feel that that's a, a new uh, way of producing, uh, sufficient volume of, of food and, and, um, uh, for, for, for city populations. Now it does come with some challenges, but um, as far as producing fresh, local, accessible uh, fruits and vegetables, I think it's definitely uh, uh, a great potential for diversification of our agricultural industry. Sure. So Patrick, there's something I want to clarify about what you're saying there about the increase in production. Are you talking about uh, our neck of the woods here in Eastern Ontario? Or are you talking a bit more broadly about Canada? Uh, are we talking industry-wide? 
Uh, I recently read that uh, Montreal is one of the cities with the most uh, rooftop gardens and vertical uh, production uh, in, in North America. Uh, so that was actually quite astonishing to me. Uh, there's more and more uh, growing units uh, in parking lots of grocery stores all over uh, Ottawa and Toronto now. So uh, there's, there's definitely a willingness to produce locally and uh, produce in the uh, urban setting. Uh, and these are some of the opportunities that we have and some of the techniques that have been uh, proven uh, for, for quite a while now. So, yeah, I, I've seen it around here in Ottawa. Um, we're actually in the process of uh, potentially testing out some some growing units ourselves at the college uh, with partners here in Ottawa. So we're looking at purchasing uh, one or two uh, cells and actually uh, producing vertically uh, with our students in our food and vegetable production techniques program. Charlie, you've got some greenhouse growing on your farm, of course. So yeah, we uh, we have a hydroponic uh, tomato greenhouse, and uh, I think that is definitely here to stay for a long, long time. The vertical challenges, that's the different types of crops that they can grow are very limited, and uh, and that's still fine as, as long as there's a market. Uh, you know, the word access came out, and it's access from both sides. So the producer has to be able to access a good market that's going to be sustainable for him to actually make money. Uh, and the, of course, then the, the retail uh, uh, customer has to be able to access as well. And it's a little difficult getting into these big chains for anybody who doesn't have any size to them at all. Um, so the smaller um, vertical unit is probably going to be somewhat challenged. They're going to have to create their own a customer base, which is always a problem, especially um, if you're closer to a big store, that big store is going to draw the customer base to themselves, even if they don't have the local produce. So that's always a challenge. And then the biggest problem that I see is it's, it's fresh and it's new and you've got people who are excited about it. It's the labor part. So as it grows, where did the people come from? to do the managing of it. And as long as they're they're making reasonably good money, they'll stay. But if it gets into a larger situation, like the hydroponic greenhouses in Leamington or ours, you have to go to uh, offshore labor. And that, to me, doesn't seem very sustainable, even though I'm participating in it. In the long picture, far out, I can't see how we can keep on depending on offshore labor. It uh, doesn't make any sense to me because the, the people that are coming from wherever, it could be Mexico, Guatemala, it doesn't Jamaica, they're making reasonably good money when they send it back home. But the problem is that as they send that money back home, the, the, the quality of life for their families goes up and up. And then their kids at some point could say, I'm not going there. I can do this because I'm more educated. Um, we could talk about that for quite a while. It's quite complicated. Yeah. Um, we've talked a little bit about the labor issues in previous editions of the Eastern Ontario Business Journal podcast, uh, hitting all kinds of different sectors, of course, um, and especially an interesting challenge in agriculture. Um, something that's been in the news a bit lately is the high percentage of farmer retirements expected in the next decade in Canada. So I'm curious, Charlie, you've been at it for 50 years. I read online you started Foreman Farms in 1973 with your wife. Congratulations on that. What's the future for Foreman Farms? 
so I had two sons who were farming with us. Now they're farming mm -hmm. by themselves, which I'm oh, interesting. just okay. as excited about. So they're doing their, yeah, yeah. their own thing they're doing. The one's into beef cow, the other is into dairy and uh, cash crop. And uh, they're both doing quite well. So here I am left with uh, a farm that uh, could end with me or hopefully sell it on to somebody else who's excited about it as I am. Um, so it's a, a bit of a conundrum. The transition yeah. plan is uh, really doesn't exist at this point in time. I'm still healthy, and so is my wife. We have tremendous yeah. employees, tremendous markets. Um, Going to carry on for quite a while yet, I hope. So let's take it from a micro level out to the macro level of industry. Uh, Patrick, you have a number of programs at Collège La Cité to help uh, prepare workers for the food production uh, environment and the associated fields. Um, I saw cannabis production in there as well for those interested in growing a different kind of crop. Um, how are you preparing at the college level to take that next generation of workers, uh, get them the right skills? What are they learning today? And how do you get people excited about these opportunities? Yeah, so so back in the day, obviously, we, we would rely on uh, the, the sons and the daughters of farmers to become the next generation of farmers. But, but times have changed and that doesn't suffice. So we need to go about recruiting and interesting other individuals in society that could actually play a key role in the next generation of, of, of farmers and business owners. So, um, so we leverage technology, uh, we leverage creativity, entrepreneurship, um, individuals that are attracted by those competencies or those um, topics into the agricultural field. So that's part of our enrollment strategy. Um, so for example, we have a two-year electrical uh, engineering technician program. Well, with farms now being pretty much automated, um, some of them actually ended up finding jobs, opportunities to repair, install, monitor, program PLCs on farms. Well, then they got uh, interested in actually farming in itself. So there's all sorts of different strategies to interest people into farming. Um, and then some of them have actually started their own uh, businesses, their own crop production or animal production farms over the years. They've come back and taken an agricultural program for say at our college. Um, but people that are interested in optimizing production on sustainable uh, production of food, um, anybody that has any ties to uh, the land, being outdoors, being uh, wanting to um, spend using quality resources are all types of individuals that we attract to our program. So uh, I'm quite optimistic. Uh, enrollment this year is uh, actually we were oversubscribed. Um, so that's a, a, a great problem to have. Mm -hmm. So there's more and more people interested in, in agriculture, but not just the traditional approach and production methods. They want to find out about the new technologies and the new ways of producing uh, good quality food in a, in a safe environment. Um, and that's where I think on the long run, we'll be able to to produce and, and train as uh, more and more uh, people in the agricultural industry. Yeah, and I want to come back to you for a second, Patrick, because uh, as we were getting ready for this uh, show, you mentioned urban agriculture is a great way for families to support themselves. Uh, seeing a lot of conversation about it, you know, even we've got a tiny little garden here, though certainly not as advanced as, as a number of our friends. Um, but at the same time, we've got this housing affordability challenge. Uh, we've got people being driven to condos, apartments, um, smaller dwellings. Um, because of affordability. So how do you square those two goals of trying to help people be more food independent, uh, but doing so with less space and particularly less green space? So so just uh, before the pandemic, uh, it, it 
we, we decided to review our curriculum uh, and, and, you know, revamp some of our comp core competencies of our program and include uh, urban agriculture techniques. Um, and uh, we, we've seen a lot of research projects uh, being publicized and, and, and published about being able to be anywhere from 30 to 80% self-sufficient in the city by producing uh, fruits and vegetables, perhaps having a few hens that lay eggs um, and uh, obviously relying on uh, a local farmer and then sharing, uh, you know, one, one beef cattle or one, one pork per year and then having access to, to, to meat as well. Um, so small scale intensive fruit and vegetable production seems to be working. People have found the right recipes and the right methods of actually uh, controlling pests and uh, producing good quality fruits and vegetables at home in the city. Uh, there's a bunch of models out there that they can really uh, rely on. And whether it's, again, on the roof, uh, in, in a green space, in a park near a high-density residential area, uh, in their own yards, um, raised beds have become the, the norm now. Every, every home has a, a raised bed in their backyard, regardless of the square footage of your, uh, of your condo, your apartment. So um, I think people are, are really enjoying uh, producing fruits and vegetables at home. And they're, they're actually teaching their kids as well, which is great because we've, my, my wife's in the, uh, uh, works for a school board here in Ottawa and she's seen a change in um, how kids actually enjoy and know more about agriculture and fruits and vegetables. So uh, I'm, I'm quite confident that uh, that was really beneficial for everybody to produce their own fruits and vegetables at home during the pandemic and, and have stayed stuck with it or since then. So. Thank you, gentlemen. It's been uh, great to chat with you about the changing food environment in Eastern Ontario and in Canada as well. Thank you very much. Our thanks to Patrick Mainville with Collège La Cité and Charlie Foreman of Foreman Farms for their uh, great discussion today and for their time. And as well, thanks to Anne Howland from the EOBJ for starting us off today. This very special edition of the EOBJ podcast is made possible by the following sponsors. The County of Leeds Grenville. The City of Cornwall. Collège La Cité. For important business news affecting Eastern Ontario, the people, the businesses, and the farms, be sure to check out obj.ca. I'm Phil Godreau. Thanks for joining us.